Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Today's scripture comes from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers. All things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. So there was another passage of scripture that was made available to me. It is the story in the book of Luke of Jesus visiting the home of Martha and Mary. And Mary was granted a spot at Jesus' feet, typically reserved for the male disciples who wanted to be disciples and learn from the teacher. But there was Mary. While Martha was left to scurry about and make preparations and do, do the work. And in fact, at some point in there, the uh, Bible describes Martha as distracted. Distracted. And at some point in there, Martha, so distracted, gets frustrated with Mary and says to Jesus, hey, are you not going to say something to her? I am doing all the work around here. Are you not going to say something to her? so that she can help do some of the work too. Jesus, again, refers to her being distracted and says, Martha, Martha, what you need is what she's getting. What you need, Martha, is what Mary's getting. And what Mary's getting is a face full of Jesus. I I would say to us today, that we are all prone to distraction. And it can be little things like solitaire. Hopefully I haven't called somebody out. I don't know that someone's playing solitaire, but if your neighbor is, tell them that the pastor knows. (laughs) It may be big things. It may be family shaping, shattering sorts of things. Here's, Here's what I know for sure. The distractions threaten to distract us away from what it is and who it is that we need the most. Because what I need the most, given what I'm facing, what you need the most, given what you're facing, is not solitaire. And it's not the biggest things that might subtract, detract, distract you. What you need is what Mary is getting in that moment which is all the Jesus that you can get. Which, by the way, Jesus makes available to you if you'll have it. I don't 
I don't always do this, but I want to start with the word of prayer. Partially because I feel woefully inadequate <laughs> to preach the passage of scripture that Tamara just read. She read it better than I'm going to preach it. I'm just going to tell you right now. But because we all have an opportunity today to receive all that Jesus we can handle, may we not be distracted by whatever it might be today. So let's pray. And so, Father, whatever it is that might tempt us away from a preoccupation with you and your face, the face that we see in the person of Jesus, whatever it might be, we would ask for your grace and perhaps some strength that we didn't actually come in with today, just enough strength to push it, heavy as it might be, to push it to the side. Free us from, liberate us from the distractions, be they small or enormous. Liberate us from those distractions and give us a chance today at wonder. In your son's name we pray, amen. Yeah, wonder, uh, wonder is a big deal, in fact, I'm, I am this close to listing wonder as one of the necessary Christian attributes. <laughs> I, I don't know if uh, you saw this week, and, and you, if you've noticed perhaps on the, the background of the slides for our music today, uh, we have some new images of the heavens. The web telescope stuff was incredible. Incredible. <laughs> it's, it felt history-shaping to me. Now, what I, what I find uh, discouraging is when people have a, one of two reactions. Like most of the people I'm around, in the circles I'm around, celebrated it like I have celebrated it this week. Like it is, it is amazing, it is potentially historic, and, and we should plumb the depths as best we can of all, there was just wonder, it's just draped in wonder. There were, though, some people who said, ah, space, who cares? <laughs> the absence of wonder right? It's costly. It's costly. There are other people who actually said, this is all fake. It's all fake. I know somebody who thinks we didn't ever make it to the moon. Can you imagine being the person who believes that he or she has a corner on the truth market and the science market and the fact market so much so that they could say, look at these incredible pictures and not only not have any wonder at all, but doubt the reality of what it is because he or she just doesn't have the brain cells to consider it. Sorry. Hopefully, hopefully it wasn't too personal. <laughs> Friends, wonder is important. If you and I were to believe that we somehow had a corner on the expanse how, just exactly how big and how much Jesus is. If we somehow figure that we've got, it, we've got it so on lockdown that we can now draw a distinction between ourselves and the other people who don't believe what we believe about Jesus. <laughs> if there is functioning within you a certainty that works against wonder, it is working against not only your spiritual fulfillment, but it is working against your capacity to be a follower of Christ. You know what you need to follow Jesus? 
Not certainty that can't be taught. You need wonder that can soak up everything like a sponge. This was my favorite of the reports I saw this week. Depth of space in scope and color like we've never seen before, all thanks to a massive telescope. NASA is now releasing the full set of images taken by the James Webb Space Telescope, the agency calling it the most complex observatory ever launched. NBC News correspondent Tom Costello has more. These images are really just spectacular. For the first time ever, we're seeing these deep, high-resolution images of our own universe. So take a look what we're talking about here and why everybody is so excited. Last night, NASA and the White House unveiled these first images known as Webb's First Deep Field, a kaleidoscope of galaxies as they appeared 4.6 billion years ago. Again, 4.6 billion years ago. Astronomer Neil deGrasse Tyson says the spiked objects are local stars. Everything else out there is a galaxy. Many of them actually distorted. They look, in, they look like arcs. And this morning, NASA releasing more images one by one, showing a, a full spectrum, a color spectrum of an exoplanet. The life cycle of stars, how galaxies interact and grow. The first images we've ever seen because the Webb Telescope uses infrared eyes to pull these faint and very distant objects like stars and galaxies into sharp focus. Now, what lies beyond? The naked eye can't even see that. So this is now even better than what Hubble could see. Hubble Telescope, you may remember, launched back in 1990. In this case, NASA and the European Space Agency, the Canadians, all collaborated a $10 billion tennis court-sized observatory, the largest, most powerful ever, ever built. It launched on a rocket back on Christmas Day, took a month to travel to its orbit, which is around the sun, a million miles from Earth. The release now of these images, a huge milestone for NASA, as astronomers hope to use this special telescope, really to study never-before-seen galaxies and star clusters and get better pictures of the modern universe, how it all came to be, and might there be life out there? There are so many galaxies, it's hard. You can't count them all. Back to you. <laughs> I think what I like about that as much as anything else is Tom Costello's tone of voice. I mean, he is into it. Like, he is all about it. And, and I really appreciate it. Yeah, I think it's that big a deal. I think, it's, I think it's that big. I mean, consider some of these images, you guys. Just unbelievable. If you haven't yet sat down and taken a good long look at some of this, like these are new-ish images. Now, new to us, new to us. I mean, can you believe some of this detail and the color? And, and, and I like another thing you said out there is it just kind of makes you wonder what else is out there. Now, we don't really know what else is out there, but we know that there's a lot out there, right? But we take these glimpses, these glimpses, and we recognize that there is something out there. There is something out there that's phenomenal. I think this is my favorite one right here, though. This one. Wow. There is something really cool out there, and all we get are glimpses. But those glimpses are enough to remind us and reinforce for us that there is something really cool out there. <laughs> now, it's bigger than we can wrap our brains around. It's, it's bigger than we can wrap our imaginations around even. But these glimpses are enough to tell us that there is something seismic out there. Get it? 
the book of Colossians and this passage in particular, the one that Tamar just read earlier, is meant to do the exact same thing. There is something huge about this Jesus. There is something big. Now, all we get are glimpses because you do. They would have had some sort of glimpse of Jesus. And, and those glimpses don't tell us everything we, we, we need to know. And perhaps we can't wrap our, our minds or our imaginations around all of it. But man, it tells us that there is this something. Can you imagine? I mean, Jesus would have been a relative peer to this particular uh, time period right there, a relative peer. Can you imagine trying to sort through what it means for someone to die and then to be raised from the dead? Can you imagine trying to reckon with that? Can, can you imagine studying your scriptures only to find that so much of who this Jesus is, so much of what this Jesus said, so much of what this Jesus did, did sort of harken back to so many of the things that we heard the prophets say and promise so long ago about creation even. So much of it comes to fruition in Jesus. Now, we don't, we just, we don't just have someone who was raised from the dead, we have someone who seems to have been connected. It's almost like this Jesus is that God. Now how do you put that into words? Now what do you do with that? Can you wrap your brain around it? No, of course you can't wrap your brain around it. Here's the, you, can't, you can't apply the laws of science to this. <laughs> you can apply wonder, however. Wonder. Paul, remember, Paul was the one who was literally knocked to the ground. Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, knocks him to the ground at the time he was Saul. He says, why are you still persecuting me? Do you not know who I am? <laughs> he says, I have something bigger and better for you. Now your brain can't really handle it right now. I know, I know it can't. And it may never, Paul, going to be Paul someday. It may never be able to handle all that I am and all that God is and all that is, is meant to be done, but I'll give you enough. I'll give you a glimpse enough to guide your steps. So Paul is writing the book of Colossians, I think, in an attempt to try to share that particular experience that I would call wonder to try to share this experience with this struggling small group of people who are trying to fashion a church against the backdrop of the Roman Empire. And when you are living against the backdrop of the Roman Empire, the Roman Empire never misses an opportunity to say, Rome is in charge, Caesar is in charge, and we are caring for every aspect of your life. And here is Paul trying to say to them, no, Caesar thinks he's in charge. No, the Roman Empire think that they are here to stay, they're not. There is something bigger, better, more, and we saw glimpses of it in Jesus. And now we are just now reckoning with who this Jesus must be. Here, let me ask you a question. What do those pictures of space tell us about God? What, and this is maybe even a harder question, what do those pictures of space tell us about Jesus? Man, uh, well, big, uh, expansive, 
far beyond what we can see or imagine, but still present in incredible, glimpse-worthy sorts of ways. Beautiful, worthy of wonder. It is the intention of the author of the book of Colossians that you would take a look at pictures like this and recognize that there is there something to be learned about God and even Jesus. Because remember, this Jesus is that God. Let's, let's just try to work through this with Paul. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. When you look at Jesus, you look at God. This Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. For in him, all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. This taps into an ancient Jewish belief that at the beginning when there was creation happening, it wasn't just God creating stuff. There was wisdom there to also show us how to live amongst all of the stuff. It wasn't just about rocks and trees and birds. It was all of that, but there was also wisdom there at every step along the way saying, okay, now that we have all of the stuff of creation, here's what it looks like to live a life of flourishing and hope to live a life that lives toward life. To live a life that lives toward life. This is what it means. And so Paul is saying here, great audacity on display here. In fact, I would call it great wonder here. Paul is saying, yeah, this Jesus is that big. How big is your Jesus? Now, there are, there are all kinds of words we could use here. And again, I've gotten good help this week to talk about words like Christology. But even within this term Christology, there's, there's a lot of room. There's low Christology. Now low Christology is not bad, it's not lower as in terms of a, a lesser value, but low Christology focuses on the humanity of Jesus. High Christology focuses on the deity of Jesus. And Jesus is all of it. But I think sometimes we err too low. I think sometimes we, we need Jesus to be Buddy Jesus. Remember that one? Remember Buddy Jesus? I think sometimes, and listen, that's not a bad thing. Buddy Jesus is not a bad thing unless that's your only version of Jesus. That's when it becomes a bad thing because sometimes you're bigger and stronger than Buddy Jesus who always is just gonna like sign all of your blank checks. Jesus who is a friend and closer than a brother, that's not a bad thing. But recognize that this same Jesus, it is the biblical witness that this same Jesus was there. And not only was there when everything was created, was the means whereby everything was created. Everything. Thrones, dominions, rulers, powers. So not just the trees and the rocks and the birds and the bees, but also, let's say, authority, government, governance, the way that a society can be organized 
but organized in a way that accomplishes the will of God, which is for life and flourishing. Make sense? We understand God to be the author of governance. We understand God to be the author of economics. <laughs> in the way that resources are marshaled so that people need what they need, again, to accomplish what God wants to accomplish all the time, which is life and flourishing. The problem is some of these rulers and powers and, and thrones and dominions, some of these started to get a little bit drunk on their power such that at the end of the day, you have nationalism. Beware of the isms, everybody, right? That should go on a t-shirt somewhere. Is that, can we get a t-shirt that says beware of the isms? Okay. Be, beware of the isms. Nationalism that says there is something greater than Jesus, ultimately. Consumerism, which says there is something greater than Jesus and it's what your dollars can buy. Racism, <laughs> partisanism, which says there is something and causes bigger and better and more important than what we get just by following this Jesus around. I, again, these things aren't bad in and of themselves. They are bad when they fashion themselves and position themselves as competitor ideologies and theologies and gods. And it seems to be that that is what has happened. Though we have this promise, he himself, he Jesus, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And then everything sort of rebels. Now, you can take issue with God if you like, but also a part of this created order is the capacity of human beings to choose for or against the gifts and the resources made available in the person of Christ, in, in God, God's self. And so, God re-enters. God re-enters creation in a very specific sort of way. So in Christ, God, who had to do something, does something. God moves into the middle of a rebellious creation, embodying the priority of love while still suffering the wounds delivered by competitor gods. And they killed him in the cross. Jesus exhausted every power of the enemies of love and yet kept on loving. Th this is how Paul will say it. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, all things, whether things on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. Here is something that I think is under-celebrated, maybe even under-reported as far as God is concerned. Yes, my God is so big, so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do, clap, clap, clap. But this God uses God's bigness, God's strength, God's vitality. This God uses God's power and authority to reconcile all creation back to God. 
God is not the one causing Christians to choose up sides against either the non-Christians or the, at least the not as Christian as me. God is God and spending God's self for the purpose of reconciling all things, all things back to God and not just people. Yes, people, yes, people. But also systems and powers and dominions and authorities. Y'all, even the environment. Well, there you go. There we just we just jumped the shark again and we went straight into straight into the political stuff. No, that's the gospel stuff, y'all that God would have in mind the restoration and the reconciliation of all of creation and that God would intend that would also include the created order, all of it, every square inch of it. That is not a partisan thing. That is a Bible thing. And all God's people said, well, that's pretty good. Now, quoting from a discussion I had with Dr. Tashin this week. So how does Christ's cross accomplish reconciliation? It isn't bringing human beings into a relationship with the God who is angry. Turns out it's us that need the reconciliation. It is the power of Christ's self-giving and sacrifice for the sake of the other that demonstrates to us the loving heart of God. The distance that we created is overcome in the self-giving love of Christ and this was and continues to be a costly love. God willingly becomes vulnerable. And in the weakness and the shame of the cross, reconciliation is there, demonstrated, embodied, acted out. I like that. That was worthy of an amen too. That's okay. Sorry, Dr. Tashton. Verse 21. And you, oh, I always, and you who were once estranged and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his fleshly body through death so as to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable before him, provided that you continue securely established and steadfast in the faith without shifting from the hope promised by the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. John, are you a universalist? Well, let's talk about that for a second. And let's talk about what that means. In, in the mouths of some people, universalism happens when God just saves everybody despite what he or she might decide to do. Well, I'm a Wesleyan, so I believe that our capacity to choose is super important. Now, does God want to and will God chase people throughout eternity trying to win their hearts and minds and imaginations? Absolutely, that's what the hound of heaven does. But this is not a cheap grace. <laughs> you must receive it. It is offered to every one of us. But at some point, you have to say a whole-bodied yes to it, to participate in it and receive it. Well, what does that look like? Well, it, it looks like attending Worship, 
are you going to start taking attendance? No, it's not for my benefit, it's for yours. If you want to participate in this movement of reconciliation that includes you, by the way, not only are you the recipient of it, but you're supposed to be a partner in it, you need to have your steps ordered as I do by liturgy and worship, orienting away from oneself. You also need to figure out a way to get to Jason's disciple class, which starts in September. It starts in September. You need to know the story so that you can know where you fit in the story, so you can know how it is you're supposed to be, what role you're supposed to play in the story. And next, I keep saying this to you, you gots to help. We have a cool new forum here. If you want to be a part of, man, we have several different teams. Go to okcfirst.com slash serve. Again, I'll say this to you again as I did last week. You volunteering is not just good for us. It is good for us when you volunteer. But more importantly, it's good for you. The cycle of faith is not completed until you serve. This is what Paul means. No, you have to respond, provided you continue, uh, that you continue securely established and steadfast in the faith without shifting from the hope promised by the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. So we have a God. We have a God who created all things toward life and health and flourishing. Then we have a creation, you can find this several places in the Bible, that chose itself over God's call. And so creation rebelled. And so God re-enters, God re-enters creation and says, no, we've got to do better than this. Suffers the consequences of being reinserted into a rebellious creation. Dies, having exhausted the worst that these competitor gods and ideologies can do. And then God raises Jesus from the dead because love still wins and a new creation is launched and a new entity understood as the body of Christ, sometimes understood as the church, is launched. I, I don't know if you were, I don't know if you were here, by the way, before they leave, that's Quinn. Bye, Quinn. Good to see you, buddy. Good. Welcome. Welcome to church and Quinn's got to go, but hello, Tuckers, and hello, Quinn. Hey, tell him I'm related to him somehow, okay? All right. Bye, guys. If you were there Wednesday night, you probably saw this. Waiting for a good day to happen, you know? Waiting around, the ups and downs, you know? I, I just said, look. We're going to have a good day. Ah, I just love that, right? I love that. So, actually... If God, who's God, God says God is, and if Jesus is who we believe God to be, then those of us who understand ourselves then as the body of Christ have very specific marching orders. It is to join God in the whole process and campaign of the reconciling of all things. Amen. The reconciling of all things. It is to tell the story and paint a proper picture, an accurate picture of who God is. And if your God looks more like Zeus than it does like Jesus, then you need to confess the difference and head back toward Jesus. Amen? Everything you do, everything you say in service of this mission needs to point not to Zeus, but to Jesus. 
recognizing that Jesus is not just the one, it's not just buddy Jesus, but this Jesus is God in God's fullest expansion, and this is still who God wants to be, the one who reconciles all things to himself, including space, including your neighbor, including households and streets and your heart. The book of Colossians asks church people to consider these questions. We mentioned this last, year, last week too. Who are we? When are we? And where are we? Well, here are the answers. We are the, body of Christ, we are the body of which Christ is the head, and we are living after the resurrection, the beginning of the new creation, and that's the when part, and we are living in a new creation, one launched when everything changed in the moment of the resurrection. Listen to this quote by a guy I read this week by the name of Andrew Lincoln. The worldwide community of believers is meant to be a microcosm in which the divine purposes in reclaiming the entire creation is anticipated. This is us. Is anticipated and through which, as a reconciled and reconciling community, that purpose is furthered. And if this is the case, then the most urgent task of Christians, ready for this? I'm about to give you your most urgent task. Ready? As if you didn't have something to do already. The most urgent task of Christians is to play their part and make the church a place of healing for broken relationships. Where divisions caused by class, race, wealth, education, age, gender, nationality, or religious tradition are overcome. And that we would be an agent of peace and justice in situations of conflict, whether in the home or the workplace, at the national or the international level, whatever the details of the future prepared by a loving and just God, our present focus is to say and do all we can as agitators for the values of the coming new world. And that's the money line for me. Ready? Our present focus is to say and to do all we can as agitators for the values of the coming new world world. Ugh. I, I asked you this before. What do these pictures of space tell you about Jesus? But now I want to direct your attention to these other pictures in the room. These stained glass windows are kind of a calling card. I mean, this is one of the ways that the city knows who we are and where we are. And they depict Jesus, four different scenarios. Now ask yourself again, what do these pictures tell us about God? Yes, what do the pictures of space and in space tell us about God and Jesus? But what do these pictures tell us about God and Jesus? Uh, many of you are here, I will never forget. Yeah, some of you know. Mark Riegert referring to this one as Jesus walking on all of the potatoes. <laughs> Sorry, I've ruined that stained glass picture for some of you now. But what do these pictures tell us about God as reflected in Jesus? And I guess the other question we have to ask is, okay, given what we've read in Colossians, what we read from Paul often, these pictures also tell us something about what it means to be the body of Christ. The church of which Christ is the head. I mean, these aren't just telling us how cool Jesus is. These are also 
telling us what it looks like to be us. Communion. Baptism. Vacation Bible school. Or kids camp, which is where Lisa is, right? And the reclamation, the rescue, the restoration of persons, people, sheep. Paul is, in a word, trying to help these Colossians, but also Oklahoma City First Church to know what it means to be the church. To try to expand our imaginations to recognize that we are joining with the God of all of the cosmos and everything that the Webb telescope can actually capture. We are joining with that God who's not just that big and powerful, but that God is intentional to reconcile all things to God's self. And this is what it looks like when it takes up residence in our neighborhoods. Paul's trying to help a church in Colossae and a church in Oklahoma City to remember, no, faith has skin on it. That doesn't mean it's small. It's ginormous, which I think is a Greek word. <laughs> it's cosmos-wide, because that's how big God is. That's how far God's reach is. But it is also small and as close as the next person and your next breath. That's who we are. That's when we are and where we are. And we'll need all the nourishment we can get. So if you are helping us, please come to the table and help us to distribute these elements. Heavenly Father, now bless these elements and with them, God, give us a greater sense of who we are as a reflection of who you are. Hearing what we have heard today about this creator God. Hearing what we have heard today about how big, how cosmic our Christ is. Remind us today that as we take these elements that we are part of the means whereby you are also coming into the smallest places in our hearts and in the lives around us. Remind us with bread and cup that we are joining you where you do what you do. In a moment, I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet, to exit your pew to the left, and to come forward with your hands cupped. This is an important posture. Come forward with your hands cupped to receive these gifts. Receive these gifts. As you approach someone holding a plate of bread, that person will take a piece of bread, press it into your hands and say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Take that piece of bread, dip it into the cup. Someone standing nearby will be holding a cup. When you do, that person holding the cup will say, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. And then take and eat. And then, if you would, find a place to pray. And here's the prayer Here's the prayer I would like for you to pray today. Amongst the other things that you might need to pray today, what if today you were to pray, God, give me another glimpse of how big you are and yet also how close you are and how it is you intend to use me to do what you want to do. Because our brains can't really wrap around 
God's size or strength or authority. All we're going to get is glimpses, much, much like the images from a, a web telescope. But man, those glimpses tell us something. And may God give you a glimpse today. And may you not just glimpse God, but might you also glimpse who you are as a reflection of God. You may want to find a place to pray. If you come to one of these side padded altars, we will assume that you are there to pray a prayer for healing and somebody will meet you there and pray that prayer for healing. If you'd like to come to one of these front benches, we won't assume a thing, but somebody at some point, it'll probably be me, will touch you on the head, the neck or the shoulder, just to make sure that you recognize that you are not alone in this giant universe. You may want to take a special trip down here to this bowl of water meant to remind you of the moment of your baptism and your inclusion in this cosmos-wide family with the cosmos-wide responsibility, <laughs> calling. And may the chill of that water remind you of the moment of your baptism. Who's eligible? Well, if you know you need grace, then you are eligible to come and take communion. Yeah, but John, you don't know what I did. If you know you need grace, you're always gonna be welcome at this table. And if you choose not to participate in this public demonstration, if you would prefer something that is prepackaged, you'll see that the people in the aisles who will dismiss you by row, they have the prepackaged elements and we're gonna bless those two and we're gonna go through the liturgy and as soon as you get them, you can just go ahead and eat and drink. It's just gonna work just as well. And if you don't want to participate at all, God bless you. You don't have to participate at all. All are invited, but none are compelled. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body, broken for you. And every time you eat of it, including today, remember me. Later on, he took the cup, held it up before them and said, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant, blood now shed for you. And every time you drink of it, including today, remember me. May we all get a glimpse of Jesus today. And now across the sanctuary, if you would, stand to your feet. Exit your pew to the left, all who will, and come forward as you're dismissed to receive these gifts of God meant to nourish and encourage the people of God.
of confession before passing it over to Jason who's going to pray prayers of intercession for us and lead us in the Lord's Prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we confess that perhaps there are days when we don't allow you to be that big in our lives. Confess, God, that there are days when our sense of Christology just isn't quite high enough. We confess, God, that it is hard for us to consider the expanse of the heavens even as we are given these glimpses. And similarly, it's hard for us to appreciate the expansiveness of your grace and your reach that we see demonstrated in Jesus. And so God, as we continue to confess, sometimes we opt for something less, something smaller. Now as I get out of the way, would you pray your own prayer of confession? How big is your Jesus? God have mercy on us and forgive us all our sins through our Lord Jesus Christ strengthen us in all goodness and by the power of the Spirit keep us in eternal life I want to invite you to continue to pray with me these words and prayers of intercession before we pray the Lord's Prayer together Jesus we ask you today for some very specific requests and needs. We're so grateful that as the God of the universe, you also care deeply and individually about each of us. And God, we ask that you would be with our kids and sponsors at our kids camp, at Camp Bond in Tishomingo right now with Pastor Lisa and her sponsors. About half of our kids are at camp right now and they return tomorrow. And then another, the other set of our kids go back on Tuesday. And so, God, we ask that you would touch hearts and lives of our children as they get to be together and love you together. Would your heart and your life be poured out into our children? And would you, God, bless Pastor Lisa and our sponsors with strength, perseverance, and that you would be with them. God, we ask that you'd be with our teens, our high schoolers, as they're away on their mission trip this week in California in the Bay Area. Ask God you'd be with them as they're at Heirloom East Bay and the team there but also, God, that you would continue to surround Avarilla with your love, with your care, and with their sponsors, with your presence, that this would be such a wonderful time in their lives, and that, you, God, you would keep everyone safe. God, we ask that you would continue to touch and heal those who need a healing touch in their life. We ask that for our friends Diane Dawkins, Scott Peterson, and Randa Thompson as they each continue to battle their own version of cancer. 
God, we ask that you would reach out and be close to Betty Fain this week as she, I understand, in the hospital right now. That God, you would be and heal Betty and give her strength, confidence, and the strong sense of your presence. God, you'd be with my friend Matthew Larson. I don't see him today, but God, we ask that you would come alongside of him every day and be with our friend Matthew. God, we ask that you'd be with all who are brokenhearted, all who've experienced loss, all who are lonely, our friends without homes who are hot right now. God, we ask that you'd be with those who need you the most. And in the meantime, God, we as a church all pray for that heart that is heavier than all of our hearts, whether they are in this room or watching online, that heart, God, that needs you right now. And together as a whole body of Christ, we pray for that one soul who needs you the most. God, we ask that you would day by day, moment by moment, practice by practice, shape and form us into looking like your son, Jesus. And God, would you do that this morning in this prayer the prayer you taught your disciples to pray, and it'll be on the screen in front of you in these moments. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.